This is the Grind It Podcast. We know just like grinding a handrail or across the coping can be challenging at times, so can life be. We share God's Word and personal stories to encourage you to keep grinding and to not give up. It's time to grind. So here's the old school skateboarder himself, Randall Tucker. Welcome to the Grind It Podcast. Today we're going to start Matthew chapter 24 and Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He, he knows what his mission is, that his mission is to die for the sins of all mankind because he is the second Adam. The first Adam, Adam and Eve, the first Adam ushered in sin to the world You know when, when Eve picked that fruit off the tree and ate that fruit and then she passed it on to Adam and then he ate that fruit, which was complete disobedience to God. Because God said, don't eat that fruit. So sin enters into the world. And <clears throat> and now that sin has separated man and God that had the perfect relationship uh, until this point. God was walking with man and with, with Adam and Eve. And they just had a, just it was just a perfect, perfect relationship. Uh, but then when sin entered in, when they ate that fruit... When they disobeyed God's commandment, don't eat of that one tree. When they ate of that tree, sin separated man from God. And God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. And he put angels around it to protect it so they couldn't come back in in it. And uh, um, so sin has entered in. And so it, it takes Jesus, the second Adam... Paul calls him in uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 19 to reconcile man back to God. And so Jesus in, well in other words reconcile means it just simply means we're made friends again with God. That relationship is restored between man and God because Jesus pays the price for our sins on on the cross. And he knows that it, just in the next day or two, he's going to be uh, beaten beyond recognition, Isaiah says in Isaiah 52. And he is going to die a horrific, painful death by crucifixion because he has to. He has to wash. That is the only way our sins can be forgiven. And so Jesus knows his mission is to build this bridge where man's sin has separated themselves from God, Jesus' mission is to build a bridge between God and man. And because of what Jesus is about to endure, the cross, we can have forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God, but the disciples, the religious leaders, and the crowds, they've got a whole different idea about the Messiah in mind. They think that Jesus... They they think he's coming to to they think he's marching into Jerusalem and he's coming there and he you know he he cleanses out the temple. They had this idea that the Messiah is going to be this great military leader and he's going to lead the Jewish people in a revolt against the Roman authorities and he's going to uh, reestablish the Jews back into power. And and so they they. They, they just think he's going to be this dominant military leader. And, and because of that misconception, they have a hard time, a very hard time. So it, it's, we can kind of understand what they're dealing with. Uh, because of this misconception, 
they have a very hard time accepting that Jesus is their Messiah. Now, the, the disciples got it because they're walking with Jesus every day for three to three and a half years, but even they struggle with it. And we see that when Jesus is crucified and buried. Their, 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 their whole world is thrown into chaos, even though Jesus has told them many times this is going to happen. Uh, but the Pharisees, they just absolutely rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They, they weren't going to have anything to do with this homeless guy who's born from a woman in adultery. That's the way they looked at, at Mary because she was pregnant before she was ever married to Joseph. Um, but these religious leaders, these Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, some other priests, they were constantly challenging Jesus, trying to disprove that he is who he claims to be. And in, in chapter 23, we've already covered. If you had not had a chance to listen to that one, go back and, and listen to those. Um, but Jesus, in chapter 23, he's surrounded by Pharisees who's, who's challenged him time and time again. And this time he's going to turn the tables on them. And he exposes their hypocrisy to the crowds that had gathered, including his disciples. And, and this all took place at the temple. And after ripping the Pharisees, up, up, you know, pronouncing all these woes on them and exposing them for who they really are, Jesus is going to go leave the temple and he's going to take his 12 disciples in tow with him. And this is where chapter 24 picks up. And I'm, I'm just going to throw out a spoiler alert on, on chapter 24. Look, I don't, I don't know any, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. I, I know a little bit about the Bible. But when it comes to end time stuff, I don't even pretend to know anything about it. I, 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 I have some opinions, and that's all I have. But the, the one thing that I do know for sure, 100%, is that Jesus is coming back. He is coming again, and we better be ready, and we better be right with Jesus Christ because when he comes back, it's all over with. There, there isn't, there's no more second chances. And, and however the end times happens, if it's pre-millennial view, all-millennial view, post-millennial view, whatever view you have, however this happens, when the trumpet sounds and, and, and we're all called away and we're judged and we're separated like the sheep and the goats are, if we are in Christ and we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and we're walking with him on a daily basis, guess what? We're good. No matter how it happens, we're going to be okay because we have Jesus on our side. And so I, I just want to make that spoiler alert before we get into Matthew 24 because uh, Jesus is going to have a conversation with his disciples. And the way he answers their question, it's first he's talking about what's going on in their immediate future. But then he ties it into the end times, and, and I may not get to all of it today, but I'll probably have to cover it in the, the next podcast. But Matthew says, Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out to him various temple buildings. I mean, a huge structure. But Jesus responded, do you see all these buildings? i tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another so the, the temple, it was massive. It was very impressive, even for our day and time. Uh, the, these stones were just ginormous. Um, uh, they weighed, let me see in my notes here, they, they weighed over 160,000 pounds or 80 tons. 
And these stones, they just sit on top of one another like Legos. And, and uh, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they engineered these things and, and to get them in place. But uh, the, uh, the, uh, the temple was just a ginormous uh, building. It was several, like 10 stories high. It was bigger than football fields. I mean, it was just massive. Uh, it would have just been impressive uh, to see. And, and the disciples, they marveled every time that they were in or around the temple. And and, and that's what, they're leaving the temple grounds and and the disciples talked to Jesus about, man, this is, so. I mean, it's full of gold and silver, all, all these precious metals and all these jewels and, and, and it's just impressive and and they're in awe of this building and they're like jesus look at this and he says i'll tell you what guys all these stones not one stone is going to be left on top of another and it shocks them and we'll get to that in just a minute but what jesus said to his disciples got them they started thinking and they wanted to know when's this going to happen and how is this going to happen and the thing is, Jesus actually predicted this long before this moment with his disciples because he was having a discussion with the woman in Samaria at the well in John chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. And this is what John writes. So tell me, why is this the, the Samaritan woman talking? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied to her, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus knew what was coming. And nobody else did. He, he knows the future. He knew what was going to happen in AD 70 when the Romans are going to uh, destroy the temple and burn what would be burned. And instead of giving the, the disciples a, an exact date, Jesus tells his disciples to look for certain signs. And when they see these signs, that they should realize, hey, it's about to go down. Um, listen closely to how uh, this discussion starts out. The disciples come to Jesus and they're hanging out at the Mount of Olives and, and they've been pondering what he meant by uh, the temple being destroyed and the stones being knocked down. And, and they ask him, they, they said, tell us, when's this going to happen? What, what sign will signal? See, they throw this in. Jesus didn't say this. They threw this in. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world or the end of the age, some versions say. Jesus didn't say anything about his return when he said the temple would be destroyed. But on several occasions, he has told them that he's going to die and be raised again. And so perhaps maybe this is where they came up with this idea of his return. Um, because there, there's no way, no way that the, the, the disciples understood his returning because they didn't even understand that he's about to die in just a couple of days. They had no idea that he was literally about to die on a cross in just a couple of days, but yet they're questioning him about his returning. So maybe they've had a discussion amongst themselves and they come up with this idea that you know he's going to be returning. 
But what I want to do real quickly is share Mark's version of this story because Mark gives a little bit more detail. In Mark 13, 1 through 4, he writes this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his followers said to him, Look, teacher, how beautiful the buildings are, how big the stones are. And Jesus said, You see all these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. Every stone will be thrown down to the ground. And later, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, he was alone with Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. So you got, there's four of them there. See, the way Matthew tells it, they're all there because he just says the disciples. But Mark names them Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's the four that are there, and they're talking to Jesus, and they want to know what's going on and when it's going to happen. And they say, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they're going to happen? So, Jesus is here with Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Not all twelve. Just those four. And Mark says that the temple is in the background. You can literally, they're, they're on the Mount of Olives, and you can see the temple in the backdrop. And, and they're sitting on this mountainside, and they're having this discussion. And the question is not about the end of the world, but when is the temple going to be destroyed? And that is, that is absolute key. The question that they are asking Jesus is not about the end of the world, but when they want to know when the temple is going to be destroyed. When will these things happen? When will the stones be thrown down? When is this going to happen? And Jesus could have said, oh, in about 30 years, but that's not what he told them. He could have told them the exact day. He could have said, AD 70, watch out, be ready, it's going to happen. You're going to go through a lot of torment and, and, and persecution. <laughs> but that's not what he says. He's, he gives them signs to look for. He, he, he gives them little nuggets, if you will. Some people take these signs that Jesus gives and, and try to apply them to the end times. And they say, oh, it's the sign of the times. It's the end, end of times. Jesus' return is imminent. And I agree with that. I, I, I agree that Jesus' return, it, it can happen at any moment. But let's just keep in mind what Jesus said about his returning. Jesus says, no man knows the hour when the Son of Man will return. So if Jesus says nobody knows when it's going to happen, nobody knows. So quit trying to guess it. Quit trying to write books about it and, 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 and make money off of it. Just say, hey, Live your life for Jesus and be ready. And everything's going to work out. So here's how Jesus answers uh, their question. And as we're going to see, Jesus does indeed talk about his returning in his response. And, and like I said, it'll probably be uh, the next podcast uh, before we can get to that part. But Jesus tells him, he says, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. So when in, in Acts chapter 1 and in the end of Luke, when Jesus ascends to heaven, the disciples literally thought that he would return and come back any day. Any day. We see this, the, this same idea with the early church because they were looking for Jesus' return to happen immediately. I'll give you some examples. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Peter wrote that 2,000 years ago. He says the end of the world is coming soon. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 15-18, Paul writes, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. See, notice what he said. We. We. He's talking about us. Talking about when he was pinning this down. We Christians. We who are still... So he was expecting to still be alive when Jesus returned. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So that's a couple of verses right there. That, that show, and there's many more uh, examples, but there's a couple of verses that just show that the church, the early church, even the disciples, they were expecting Jesus to return almost immediately after he ascended in Acts chapter 1 and at the end of Luke. Um, and so Jesus then, he says, here's some more nuggets. Here's some more signs to look for, boys. He says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end of the, uh, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. All, stuff like this that Jesus just mentioned has been taking place for hundreds of years. I mean, if you go back and read the Old Testament, you will see... That there is just war after war after war after war. There's there was always uprisings. There's still wars and uprisings that's going on. And, and like I said, the Jews uh, they're they're going to try to revolt against the the Romans, which leads to the temple being destroyed, just like Jesus said it would. And that happens in A.D. seventy. And you can go back and read firsthand accounts of that. And it's it's it was pretty bad. It was brutal. Uh. But in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30, it says, And Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch the believers were first called Christians. And during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up in the meetings, one of the meetings and predicted uh, by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. See, so this it, it, way back in the book of Acts, when the church was fairly new, this prophet named Agabus stands up and, and he prophesies that a great famine was coming on the entire Roman world. It's exactly what Jesus said what happened. And it and it happened. Um this and it it, it, it he even tells us uh, Luke even tells us that it was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. But as they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, so Paul collects money to send for aid to the church in Jerusalem to help them during this famine. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 Now regarding your question about the money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. 
Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. And when I come, I will write letters of recommendation recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate for me to go along, they can travel with me. Romans 15, 25 uh, and through 31, it says, But before I come, Paul says, I must go to Jerusalem to take a gift to the believers there. For you see the believers of Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a, a real debt to them. And since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news for the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. As soon as I have delivered the money and completed this good deed of theirs, I will come to see you on my way to Spain. And I am sure that when I come, Christ will richly bless our time together. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me, given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the believers there will be uh, willing to accept the donation I am taking to Jerusalem. See, Paul is telling these churches, save some money. Take up a collection. And I'm going to come around, or you can you can take you can find somebody that you think is worthy or you know that you can trust with this money, and let them take it to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were having a very bad famine. There's a drought going on, and and they're 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 just struggling to to make it. And so Paul, I just gave you three separate scriptures where Paul talks about them taking up this collection and taking it to Jerusalem. It's just like Jesus said it would happen. This famine. He said these things are going to happen. The apostles are seeing it come to pass just as Jesus said it would uh, on through the book of Acts. And they would know as they, they see these warning signs from that Jesus, these little nuggets that Jesus told them to watch for, they would know that his return is imminent. And they were always looking for him just to pop up on the scene just like he did after the resurrection when he would just appear out of nowhere. And, and then uh, Jesus goes on to say, he says, You will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. You see, Almost immediately after the church began, the apostles were persecuted. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 42, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds, both men and women, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priests and the officials who were Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and they put them in a public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And then he told them, he said, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. 
And when the high priests and the officials arrived, they convened with the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for the trial. Guess what? They ain't there. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. And so they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, wasn't nobody there. They were gone. How'd they get out? The gate was still locked. And when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. What's going on here? Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. And so the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles again, but without violence, for they were afraid that the people would stone them. And then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. And he said, We gave you strict orders never to teach in this man's name again. He wouldn't even mention Jesus. Instead, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching about him. He wouldn't mention Jesus because he... He thought it was blasphemy to mention the name of Jesus. But he says, Instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. And then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. And we did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill the apostles. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the, uh, the council chamber for a while. And then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care of what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago there was a fellow, Thutis, the Eudas, however you say it, who pretended to be someone great, and about 400 others joined him, but he was killed. And after all his after he was killed, all of his followers went their various ways, and the whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers were scattered. Well, Jesus was killed too, but guess what? He came back alive. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning if they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, Gamaliel says, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Well, they've been doing that for a long time. The others accepted his advice and they called in the apostles and had them flogged. They get, when they get flogged, they, 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 I mean, it's what happened to Jesus before he went on the cross. 39 stripes. They're hit with that flog 39 times. Uh, and it just rips the flesh off your back. I mean, I can imagine the pain they were going through. But check this out. Then they ordered them never to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And the apostles left the high council, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Just like Jesus said it would happen. They would be persecuted. Here they are beaten. They're scars. In Acts chapter 8, Stephen is stoned to death. In Acts chapter 9, James, the brother of uh, John, was beheaded. You know, the sons of thunder, James and John. James is beheaded. 
And Peter was in prison, and he, he was going to be next. But it was Passover, and they had, they had to wait a week, and the angel comes and helps Peter escape. And then you, you can look at Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-28, when he lists his resume about everything and how he suffered. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death time and time again. Five times I was I, re, I was received from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one, that's the 39. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews because they chased him from city to city trying to kill him. I've been in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and I have gone, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. I, I can't even begin to fathom the idea of these disciples being one of these disciples who, are, who was walking with Jesus every day, and they're hearing Jesus, the one who's supposed to deliver them back to uh, a powerhouse, back into power as a nation. Jesus looks at them and says, you're going to be hated. You're going to be arrested. And worse than that, you're going to be persecuted and you're going to be killed. And there's a book called The Book of the Martyrs, and you can read that. And, and, and it tells about how these disciples, uh, the apostles, were killed. And some of them were, were pretty brutal. Uh, but, there, but it also talks about other Christians who, who were brutally murdered for their faith. And, and it still goes on in the world today. People who follow Jesus are hated. I mean, well, we see that all, especially in the United States right now. We're called all kinds of names, and, and, and we try to show love, but, people, and, but when we preach Jesus, people hate us. Um, in other countries, that people are arrested for their faith, they're put in prison, they're persecuted, they're killed even. It, and if you think about it, it doesn't sound anything like the American church. When, when Jesus explains all this stuff, and we read the book of Acts, I, I, I was at a, uh, I'm going to end the podcast with this thought. I was at a, a church planning conference down in Florida, and Francis Chan was a speaker. And he was talking about how he was visiting China, and they were saying they, they would take their Bible and they say, "We don't see the the uh, the American church in the Bible because they they can't even have a Bible over there. They're they're so they're persecuted, and, and and if they're found to have a Bible, if they own scriptures, they they'll go to prison. They could even die just for owning a Bible." And 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 the they were Francis Chan said they were laughing at the American churches because we've got our big buildings, we've got air conditioning, we've got Sunday school rooms, you know, we got big time bands, it, it, we we got all this luxury, you know, we got the pews the, or the seats, whatever your church has, and it's comfortable. It, it, it they're underground; they have to sneak around. And meet together, and they would they have to rip pages out of a Bible and memorize it and pass it to somebody else so they can memorize it just so they can have the Word of God 
inside them. We're, we're spoiled rotten in America. And, and we as the church, we have just sit by and sit on our hands and, and just let the world go to hell in a handbasket. And I just want to say, if you will rise up and take a stand and preach Jesus, teach Jesus, but also show Jesus, just be ready. When you, when you experience the resurrected Jesus, He will change your life. And when you start to take a stand for the gospel, watch out. Because the enemy is going to come at you with everything that he has. And he's going to throw those fiery darts. And just like Jesus said, you're going to be hated. You could be arrested. You will be persecuted. And you could be killed. But it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Because if we stay faithful until the end, just like these disciples did, these apostles who were losing their life, being beaten beyond it, just so much pain, and they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They were excited about it because they, they were worthy to be beaten because of, of Christ's sake. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how to end this. Because we we just we're just not, we're just spoiled rotten in America. We we go to our church buildings. We sit in our worship services and we listen to the songs and we listen to the prayers and we listen to the sermon and we go home and we many people don't even think about Jesus again throughout the rest of the week. Or maybe they come back for Wednesday night service. Maybe they spend three hours a week with Jesus. No, folks. It it, it it's it's time to get down to business and live for Jesus on a daily basis. The resurrected Jesus will absolutely change your life if you let him. We'll finish chapter 24 in the next podcast. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends and your family, your co-workers. When you share this podcast, you're sharing Jesus. You're giving people the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If I can pray for you with any with it, about anything if i can help you answer any questions that you may have uh i'll give uh, a phone number you can text me at the end of this um at the end of this podcast or you can email me at uh the grinded podcast at gmail.com god bless you keep grinding thanks for listening to the grinded podcast if we could pray for you or encourage you in any way please email us at the grinded podcast at gmail.com or you can text us at 865-418-2824 if you're watching on YouTube, please click like and subscribe, and you'll be notified about new episodes. If you're listening on an app, leave us a five-star review, but most importantly, share the Grinded Podcast with a friend. God bless you, and remember, keep grinding.